on this road report. Actually, I, I believe you have to call the meeting to order for them to kick it off that screen. The screen that it's on right now. So are we good, Jason? Yes. Well, yeah, you got to call it to order and then they will make the, the, the fee go up. Chad, Chad G, Chad G, we, are, we are good to go ahead and call the meeting to order and Jason will let us know if it's not. <clears throat> Very good, Donald. Jason, thank you. Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. I'd like to call the TJPA Board of Directors meeting of January 13th, 2022 to order. My apologies to the public that we're waiting. We've had some technology gremlins visit us this morning and um, we're trying to ask them to leave. Our, our, our breakfast table this morning. I'm Jeff G, the board chair, and this board meeting is being conducted pursuant to provisions of the Brown Act and in compliance with the California State Assembly Bill AB 361 to facilitate teleconferencing to reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission at public meetings. Ordinarily, the Brown Act sets strict rules for teleconferencing. AB 361 has suspended those rules. This meeting is being held during a proclaimed state of emergency and state and local officials have imposed or recommended measures to promote social distancing. As noted on the agenda, members of the public may observe this teleconferencing meeting via SFGov TV, and they may offer public comment by calling the published public comment phone number. I'd like to welcome the members of the public and staff who are watching us live on SFGov TV, and I'd like to thank the SFGov TV staff for their support and services. Mr. Secretary, could you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair G. I would like to note that Director Boarding will be sitting in as Director Tomlin's alternate and Director L2C will not be in attendance for today's meeting. Directors, please respond when I call your name. Director Borden. Present. Borden present. Director Forbes is expected. Director John Baptiste. Present. John Baptiste, present. Director Lipkin. Present and on camera now. Welcome. Uh, Director um, Lipkin, present. Director Shaw. Present. Shaw, present. Vice Chair Mandelman. Present. Mandelman, present. Chair G. Present. G, present. Directors, we have a quorum. I will go ahead and call your next item. Directors, item three is communications, and we'd like to remind the public that the public comment process is listed on the agenda and streaming on the screen. I'm also not aware of any communications from the board at this time. I will continue to call your next item. Directors, item four is board of directors new and or old business. I'm also not aware, so I will continue to call your next item. Directors, item five is the executive director's report. Thank you, Donald. Good morning, directors, and happy new year. Uh, it's my honor to join you today as uh, my first meeting as the new uh, TJPA executive director um, and wanted to give you a little update on my first six days in the office and where we stood since uh, our last meeting at the end of last year. So 2022 is starting out to be an exciting year um, of great momentum and progress for the TJPA. I've been using the relative quiet of this last week 
at the transit center to learn the many operations of the TJPA from facility operations and security to touring the center, the park, the security operations center, walking the DTX alignment with our project manager, introducing myself to reacquainting myself with and scheduling time with the project's key stakeholders, uh, attending my first CAC meeting and understanding our upcoming milestones regarding finance, communications, and state and federal advocacy. Uh, there's a lot to do, and this starts with continuing to stabilize uh, our services with our transit retail and community partners, working with our many partners to facilitate the return of users to our world-class transit center, incredible for Lock Long rooftop park and transit-oriented neighborhood. Um, if you haven't been down here, it's awfully quiet at the moment. Um, as it should be as we go through the Omicron surge. Um, so 2022 uh, will be an exciting and critical year for the DTX and we're working hard and I'm committed to ensuring we meet the FTA capital investment grant new starts program funding milestones uh, and timeline to apply for a full funding grant agreement in August, 2023. So we can bring rail service into the heart of the downtown uh, and create a truly integrated regional transit system. I've already started meeting with our key stakeholders, as I mentioned, uh, and I'll be working to elevate the, the program uh, as the essential transportation infrastructure. It is not only for San Francisco, but for the Bay Area, the state and the nation. Here in the office, we're continuing to track the Omicron surge and the city's response to COVID-19. All employees remain masked in all common areas. Masks are still required throughout the center, except when in the rooftop park. Um, and we are facilitating uh, some work, a hybrid remote schedule for those employees able to do so. Uh, the park continues to be uh, an open space resource for the neighborhood, and we're working to expand public access signage so the neighborhood's fully aware of the gem that's a few stories above uh, street level. In fact, uh, just this week at the MTC Programming and Allocations Committee meeting yesterday, uh, committee members approved an allocation of $200,000 for the TJPA to support upgrades to the digital wayfinding system at the center. And this allocation will add to our existing wayfinding budget to advance this effort. And we're expected to be heard at the full MTC board on January 26th. Last April, we restarted free public programming and have since offered over 280 activities and served nearly 7,000 attendees. We continue to offer exciting, fun, and free activities at the park, uh, but I don't want to steal too much of Jen Norris's uh, presentation in the facility operations update later today. This past Saturday afternoon, January 8th, the center, much like it did on December 17th, experienced a temporary PG&E power outage. Uh, the power was out for about 90 minutes. The center and park remained open and unaffected. All transit services continued to operate, but our security operations center uh, sprang into action. Our emergency lighting uh, came on uh, and we've reached out to PG&E for additional information and are evaluating our processes to better prepare for these types of power outages in the future. We continue to seek funding for the TransBay program, including the center and the DTX project. Uh, we're continuing to work on our transit and intercity rail capital program, TIRCP application, which is due to Cal STA on March 3rd, so coming up very soon. Similar to our Chrissy application to the Federal Railroad Administration, we're working on obtaining letter letters of support from our partners and stakeholders to submit for this state application and have asked MTC to consider endorsing DTX as part of their TIRCP endorsement process. 
As Neela reported in the December meeting, last month the DTX project was successfully accepted to enter the Federal Transit Administration's Capital Investments Grants New Starts program. This is a key milestone to move this project forward and position the project for significant funding from the bipartisan infrastructure law. And I met with Ray Tellis, our Region 9 director, uh, earlier this week to discuss that. Uh, tying into this great milestone, we, of course, were honored to host Speaker Pelosi on uh, celebrating the historic signing of the bipartisan infrastructure law and the already built train box on December 11th. Uh, where we were joined by Jackie Spear, uh, Representative DeSaulnier, and our future rail operators, Caltran, uh, Caltrain, excuse me, and the California High Speed Rail Authority, along with our other Bay Area Transit Agency partners and labor partners. Uh, this event highlighted the Transbay program and Transit Center as an example of what the infrastructure law, law can provide to the Bay Area, similar to what the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act uh, of 2009 did for the completion of the train box. Through a $400 million grant agreement from FRA, Federal Railroad Administration, we were able to have the train box built in uh, phase one of construction. Thus, it's no longer a question of if, but when trains will enter the center. Uh, as you know, we've been busy with our federal advocates, Carpe and Clay, on advancing the Transbay program by providing briefings to our federal delegation, many of which I'm getting scheduled to meet with in the coming weeks and continuing to share pertinent progress information on the DTX project along with tracking and pursuing federal funding opportunities. They've been instrumental ensuring uh, TJPA and DTX continue to be at the forefront of the Bay Area congressional delegation and have been tracking the progress of federal funding opportunities, including most recently the signing of the infrastructure law. In today's agenda uh, on consent item 8.3, uh, we'll be considering an extension of the fourth and final one-year extension of our federal advocacy contract with Carpe and Clay. The CAC, we had my first meeting earlier this week. Um, we'll be starting the annual recruitment process for new CAC seats early next week. This year's recruitment consists of filling a total of seven seats. We'll conduct an online awareness campaign about the recruitment process, which will include email marketing, social media, and ad placements in neighborhood newspapers, and I'll accept applications until all seats are filled. Uh, this concludes my introductory uh, executive director remarks, and now we have a state legislative update for you. Uh, as the new legislative session started this month, uh, we have our state advocates, Townsend Public Affairs, here this morning uh, to provide us an update on the new state legislative session and funding opportunities uh, we are tracking, including Monday's release of Governor Newsom's budget proposal. Uh, Nico De, Nicolo DeLuca and Andres Ramirez of our state advocacy team located in Sacramento uh, will be providing the update this morning. So, Donald, if we can have them promoted. See Nicolo as a participant there. Hello, board members. Um, my name is Nicolo DeLuca, and Adam, thank you for that introduction. Uh, we have a presentation for you. My uh, colleague, Andres Ramirez, is going to 
lead the PowerPoint and we will be chiming in uh, with updates. And then at the end, happy to answer any questions you all may have. Well, thank you, Nicola. Chair and directors, Andres Ramirez with Townsend Public Affairs, located here in our Sacramento office alongside Nicolo. Um, if we could go to the uh, first slide, please. We'll start off with a general overview. Um, so the legislature did return from their interim recess uh, last week on January 3rd to begin the second year of the two-year state legislative cycle. Um, you know, it, the second year of the legislative cycle essentially means that in addition to some bills carrying over from the previous year, there will be new pieces of legislation that are introduced. Um, this year, there is a bit of a slower rollout of legislative packages due to uh, a number of COVID outbreaks that are happening in the capital community. So that is something of a note. Uh, additionally, the governor introduced his January budget proposal on Monday. We will do a deeper dive into that at a later slide. Um, this year, we have been told that the legislature's top focus will be on COVID response, housing and homelessness, climate resiliency, and how to spend another budget surplus. The budget surplus is also something that we will dive into deeper at a later slide. Uh, additionally, you know, there, there are some musical chairs going on in both houses of the legislature. Currently, we have four vacant assembly seats. And of course, the redistricting process will pit some incumbents against others in 2022 elections. Um, I should note that a number of legislators have announced that they will be candidates for perhaps higher office. Uh, additionally, some will be running for a new district in their current roles, and some will be retiring. So we will definitely have some sort of a new political makeup in Sacramento come 2022. The last thing I should note is that um, legislators and staff have moved to what is dubbed the new swing space as the Capitol office spaces in the traditional Capitol building are being remodeled. Uh, we expect that to be over a five-year period. So there is a bit of transition. Um, there are several committee hearing rooms in this new swing space. However, uh, the majority of floor session will continue in the traditional Capitol building. So with that, if we could go to the next slide, please. So a little bit of a budget forecast. Um, as we stated, the governor gave his January budget proposal on Monday for 2022. And there is a $45.7 billion operating surplus. Though I should note, not all of this is available for discretionary use due to a couple factors, one being the GAN limit, uh, another being Prop 98 set aside, and then also the commitment for PERS pay downs. Um, you know, 20.6 billion of this will be available for discretionary use. We should also note that the latest surplus estimate here is what was described by the governor and the Department of Finance, which is, of course, the administration's fiscal analyst. Um, the legislative analyst's office has had some different forecasts, um, and we can also expect, you know, some adjustment and variation to those numbers uh, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but with that, the windfall is fueled like last budget cycle with tax revenue and federal funds. Next slide, please. 
So a little bit more on the budget forecast. Um, you know, the governor's proposed budget is largely focused on addressing what he has dubbed California's five existential threats, which include, of course, addressing the COVID crisis, um, investments in climate resiliency, the rising cost of living, homelessness, and more recently, public safety. Um, the governor has proposed some early actions within his budget, including $1.4 billion uh, in emergency funding for COVID-19. This is also something that was done in the previous budget cycle. So this money will be you know, available for more immediate use. Next slide, please. Now, you know, down a little bit more to brass tacks uh, and what we're all interested in, the governor's transportation proposal for the 2022 budget. Um, I want to, you know, provide everyone a gentle reminder that all of this is subject to change as the legislature develops their respective budget proposals. Um, you know, budget informational hearings within the legislature will begin in the coming weeks. So they will be going over all of what the governor and the administration has proposed and then begin formulating their own budgets. But with that, what the governor has proposed in his transportation proposal, specifically with regards to infrastructure, is $4.2 billion from Prop 1A for high-speed rail uh, to advance the Central Valley portion of the project, $3.75 billion in general fund for transit and rail projects. Um, you know, part of that is also for grade separation um, and this is to be administered through CalSTA's Transit and Inner City Rail Capital Program, also known as TIRCP, which the team is engaged in. Uh, $500 million for ATP, active transportation projects, $400 million for state and local climate adaptation projects, $150 million to establish reconnecting communities, so highway to boulevards pilot program, and then converting you know, underutilized highways to multimodal corridors. And then $100 million for bicycle and pedestrian safety projects. Next slide, please. The second part of the governor's infrastructure proposal is $1.2 billion for port-related high-priority projects, of course, increasing goods movement capacity on rail, and roadways um, that serve ports and terminals uh, and increasing rail yard expansion, new bridges, zero emission modernization projects, all part of an effort to um, kind of re-stimulate the supply chain and the flow of goods movement. Next slide, please. Now, the third part of the proposal includes $6.1 billion in investments in zero emissions vehicles and infrastructure and like technology. So while not all of this is directly relevant to TJPA at the moment, we did want to highlight this more for everyone's situational awareness and to get a better understanding of kind of where the administration's mindset is at with regards to the future and zero emissions vehicles. Um, so you're just highlighting a couple, uh, $1.5 billion uh, to support school transportation programs, including electric school buses, uh, $1.1 billion for zero emissions trucks, buses, and off-road equipment fueling infrastructure. Um, if you go down a little bit, you know, $400 million to enable port electrification, similar to what we discussed in the last slide, um, and $200 million to invest in demonstration pilot projects, high carbon emitting sectors such as maritime, aviation, rail, uh, and other off-road applications. 
Um, next slide, please. So just a little bit more um, on the transportation proposal. You know, the governor is proposing that the state forgo adjusting the gas tax for inflation as prescribed by SB1, uh, which was a bill passed in 2017, authored by former Senate Transportation Chair Jim Bell. Um, this would reduce transportation funding in the coming year. Uh, our estimates are 523 million. Uh, half of that would be coming from state programs and half from the local streets and roads diversion. Um, it is unclear whether this would result in any reduction in fuel prices, but of course it could lead to similar reduction in transportation funding every year going forward. Once again, gentle reminder, this is the governor's proposal. The legislature will be formulating their own versions of the budget. And then of course, at the end, coming to some sort of consensus. So this is all very preliminary. If we could go to the next slide, please. Uh, I will pass it over to my colleague, Nicolo to describe some of the ongoing efforts that TPA and TJPA have been undertaking. Thank you, Andres. And so to the board, a lot of what we've been working on uh, and I also want to thank many of you individually through your day jobs about what you've also been helping us push is to ensure, and this goes back to last year, that our team and the TGPA executive leadership team, we're making sure everyone is aware of all the great um, aspects of our project, how we can use various funding for a handful of different projects, and then how we can support the various efforts of the administration and our delegation. So what does that mean specifically? We've been working closely with our San Francisco delegation, Senator Wiener and Assemblymember Ting to make sure they're aware of everything that we're working on, how the different proposed pots impact us, how we could utilize some of those funds and how quickly we could go to work. Uh, we've also been working closely with Boris and some of the others on the high-speed rail authority to help push the governor's proposal for the 4.2 billion, getting that Prop 1A funding out the door as soon as humanly possible. Uh, ensuring that the Bay Area Caucus, all nine Bay Area counties are aware of the regional benefit. Yes, the transit centers in San Francisco, but provides so much benefit to the East Bay, to the South Bay, to the peninsula, and throughout all nine Bay Area counties. Uh, and then again, making sure other committee chairs like the Senate, um, the Transportation Committee, the chair, Lena Gonzalez and her staff, Assembly Transportation Chair, Laura Friedman and her staff are aware of all the different benefits of the project, what we need to get to the finish line and, and, and next steps. Uh, as some of you and many of you are aware, last year the real um, kind of crunch or loggerhead of, of the Prop 1A funds came down to concerns from the assembly uh, as to how high-speed rail funds would be used and that really held up the entire package. Uh, so we're making sure that everyone is aware of the, the work that we're doing. Uh, unfortunately, it kind of became a, a geographical battle between Los Angeles uh, pushing harder for some of those funds. And then it's lined up to be a bit of a um, thought from the Bay Area Caucus. Heck, if Los Angeles is asking for these programs, there's many great barrier programs that we could help push. Uh, I want to acknowledge the TJPA staff for all their great work with MTC, Caltrain, and many of you on ensuring that they understand the regionalism and the regional benefit. Um, we continue to work on this, we continue to push, and we continue to advocate, and it's been a great team effort. Uh, next slide, please. So next steps, this is our top four issues, keeping in mind we're fluid and flexible and many new things could pop up. Number one, working on the transportation budget trailer bill, top priority. 
Number two, working with the team on funding opportunities such as the TIRCP program and many others. Number three, with the new executive director, excited to get him to introduce him to many of the members, many of the committee staff, many of the people that we work with to do that introduction and to keep uh, the lines of communication open. And of course, the progress of DTX. And then fourth, regional efforts, which includes tours. Um, there's been a really, really, uh, really proud of the teamwork uh, and the effort to ensure that elected, whether at the local level or the county level in the East Bay and the peninsula, understand just how important the center is, how it helps get people to uh, economic hubs, how it's a great uh, job creation uh, machine and many other benefits. And so we've seen that when we give these tours and again, appreciate the work of the TGPA staff when we show give these tours, they understand the sheer magnitude of the center and how so much is involved and how it's just such a great uh, engine to reduce uh, the carbon footprint, get people to work and help make commuters lives a lot easier. So those are our top four issues. Uh, we're excited about the new year. We're excited about working with the new executive director and Andres and I are happy to answer any questions you all may have. Very good, thank you for the report. Looks like some great opportunities. Uh, directors, any questions on the state legislative report? I do, this is Director Shaw. Please, Director Shaw, thank you. Um, thank you very much for this. It's very helpful um, to break it down the way you did and I really appreciate it. The only question I have for you is, what are your thoughts um, about the resignation of, uh, of uh, David Kim, uh, Secretary Kim, and, and how, who do you think will replace him? Any thoughts? And because um, he was really a very big supporter of transit and I think he's really gonna be missed. So I just wondered what your thoughts were there. Great question, yes. Um, bummed to hear that he's stepping down uh, the information we heard is he wants to spend more time with his family in Virginia and no one can fault that. Uh, I can't even imagine having family on the other side of the nation. That's got to be hard to deal with. Um, you know, we're hearing many different rumors. There's a lot of people interested in that job. I'll just be clear about that. Some of the names are, are very, you know, they're worthwhile. Others kind of make you do a double take. Um, I think the governor's shown his, uh, he's very open-minded in his hirings. Um, doesn't matter if people are from California or outside the state. Um, I also think there, there's a great bench. And one of the things that we want to make sure is that we work with many of the deputies because, you know, today's deputy can be tomorrow's um, cabinet secretary. Um, so I think there's some great internal hires. Um, you know, what we heard as of yesterday, the governor is very open to many different suggestions. Um, he is not um, handcuffed at one person or another. Um, and he's also going to, you know, ensure that this is a busy time and that, that whoever gets hired is going to be a great pick. So to answer your question directly, I don't have any exact names that I'm uh, confident to share with the team. I can tell you who we don't think is going to get the job based on some of the, the rumors that we've heard. Um, excited for whoever it is and, and just think that the, the, a lot of the deputies, in fact, we did a briefing um, the other day with Deputy Secretary uh, Chad Edison and his team and just their ongoing support for transit for real and for the project. It, it almost makes you really happy and proud uh, to show the great work that you all are doing and that these ongoing briefings are worthwhile. Um, but as soon as we hear anything, happy to work through the team to ensure that um, any names are shared with everybody. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> any other questions for the our state legislative team? Uh, 
Treasury, not as much uh, questions. Uh, I appreciate uh, Nicolo and uh, and the report from Townsend and Andres's report. Uh, just a couple of things to add from uh, just uh, the, the shoes that I sit in, because uh, a lot of it was about state budget stuff. So uh, just one quick mention about sort of some of the uh, conversation between some of the Southern California uh, delegation and sort of the differences in perspective uh, and that we've seen kind of what the, uh, in for, from our standpoint, uh, you know, we, where we have ongoing construction, our focus is of course, uh, completing that, putting that into service that's in the Central Valley as we continue to advance the work statewide. And part of the funding that's in the request is to be able to advance that statewide work uh, on the entire program. Uh, the folks uh, from Southern California said that, well, we, all, we also have local transit projects that we would like to see funding for. Uh, as part of the package last year, there, uh, there was kind of, kind of the mix of the two, right? The, the high-speed rail portion and uh, additional funds for a variety of programs, including one specifically focused on Southern California uh, as a way to say yes and, not or, uh, uh, on, on that front. Uh, and I think what we saw kind of in last year's conversations was the barrier was very much on the yes and uh, uh, part of things. Uh, and I think that's been uh, reiterated. Uh, MTC wrote a recent letter uh, basically reiterating that and calling for additional funding uh, in uh, the, the, from the surplus towards a variety of uh, transit and, and, and rail and other programs uh, that they would like to see. Uh, obviously, there's more conversation to be had with the legislature. This is sort of the January budget. There will also be the May revision and, and the June budget. Uh, so a long way to go, but I guess I would just reiterate that we've uh, appreciated both the TJPAs and broadly the Bay Area's uh, strong support in, in, in line with administration's uh, push of uh, how to get some of this stuff resolved. Uh, not that we're done with that conversation and, and more to come. And then the last thing just to uh, tie to DTX, uh, one thing that is probably important for my colleagues to, to hear is that um, how we kind of do our long range budgeting is uh, through what we call baseline uh, revisions, which uh, for example, add a new scope or as funds become available. And so we've had a pending uh, budget revision that's uh, dependent on the uh, appropriation request uh, because that sort of completes the funding package for the Central Valley construction. Uh, but as part of that revision, we also have the set aside of funds that we intend to use for project development of D our contribution towards uh, DTX project development. Uh, and so those two things are very much uh, tied together for our ability to uh, put those funds forward is dependent on our ability to have the Prop 1A funds to fund the construction. Um, so uh, just I, I know that those were conversations that we were having last year. Not, you know, we made an interim step of um, a little bit of a budget revision. A, um, I think they call it a budget adjustment, not a budget re re baseline revision uh, last year. But uh, that's kind of all uh, pending, uh, depending what happens with the legislature and. Of course, we'll be talking, you know, broadly as the administration uh, with uh, with folks over there about uh, that path forward. So, just wanted to add those comments. Thank you, Director Lipkin. <clears throat> Directors, any other comments or questions to share on the state legislative update? <clears throat> I would just share appreciation for this report and the governor's budget is once again uh, a surprise opportunity. Uh, we've had so many positive surprises at the federal and all, obviously at the state level. So very good report. Um, Adam, you have your hands full uh, with all these excellent opportunities, but you've got a great team and a, a great staff uh, to get us there. So excited, exciting news. 
Thank you, Director Forbes. Good morning and Happy New Year. And <clears throat> I think there was an item for port-related activities. Maybe we can connect the port, in San Francisco port and DTX a little bit. Yes, that's maybe we can. Uh, it's time to think out of the box for sure. And maybe there is a good connection. Very good. <clears throat> Any other questions or comments from directors? I would just ask, ask one thing is in the advocacy component, please um, don't forget the board. The board members, I think, can play a big role in leaning in with our relationships that each one of us has, as well as um, speaking to the public and others to help promote DTX and the importance to the region. And so under that last slide, perhaps there's a item number five of how the board and individual board members can lean in and help out. Chair, absolutely happy to uh, bring the board in, obviously working through the executive director for that. So no, really appreciate that offer. I know you all are extremely busy, so we appreciate that. I also want to uh, highlight one comment from uh, Commissioner Lipkin, a lot of great work with the High Speed Rail Authority and his team. Towards the end of last year, I'd be remiss in not saying this, Senator Weiner and then Assemblymember David Chu submitted a joint letter to their respective leadership when it came to discussing transportation needs. And we were one of the uh, few projects that he highlighted. So really appreciate the, all the support from the San Francisco delegation. As Commissioner Lipkin also mentioned, you know, the moment the uh, Southern California delegation mentioned their list of needs, it was great seeing the Bay Area caucus and many different members like right, right to the occasion about what some of their needs are, which included us. So anyway, big food fight over billions and billions of dollars, which is still really strange to say billions, but happy to get after this year and ongoing efforts. Very good. Well, again, thank you for all our hard work. We look forward to working together more and looking forward to making sure DTX gets its funding to keep moving forward. So thank you. Thank you. Our executive director, we have more reports here under your section, I believe. We do. Our next item is, uh, as I mentioned, Jennifer Norris giving us an update on our facility operations. Good morning. Um, there should be a, a presentation that goes with this. Thank you so much. All right, I'm here today to give you a facility operations update. Next slide, please. December was wet and cold, as you know. We were busy keeping the center clean and safe despite the rains um, and keeping the landscaping safe and all of that. I began my day this morning actually with a landscape walk, which um, if that would ever be of interest to you, let me know because they do them quarterly and you walk with the landscape designers and with the people who maintain the park. And I just learned so much in the hour I spent with them. I, um, they're probably still up there because there are a lot of trees, but um, you'd be welcome. We've also been working on wayfinding. We have been moving forward with wall-mounted sign holders for the bus deck. Those will hold transit information displays. We've added a QR code to those signs to provide more current information and links to additional information. And of course, that also gives us the ability um, when you use one of those signs and then the QR code to then carry that information with you on your personal device. Next slide, please. 
Um, following the tree lighting that the mayor attended in early December, we did a series of holiday private events, uh, which we get revenue from. Um, holiday mixers, taking advantage of the decorated park. Um, and fortunately we did, they, they seem to avoid the rains, they picked the right days. Um, special event requests and programmed event attendance were all on the upswing in um, early December, got quiet at the end of the December. And of course um, with Omicron, we're pretty quiet on the private events, um, have some coming again in February uh, some corporate mixers, meeting with a high school this afternoon about uh, prom in the park because SFUSD has a rule that you can only have your event outside. So let's hope we can make that happen. I think that would be beautiful and memorable. Next slide, please. Um, we hosted Winterfest for three days, December 17, 18, and 19. Um, that was a fairly cold weekend, but we had attendance of 950 plus people. Um, we, there was music, dancing, crafting, and movies. The photos on this slide are from the swing dancing that took place Friday evening, the band, and then some of the couples out on the dance floor. Um, there are other photos that show how many people turned up in the middle of the day to take advantage of the craft center and gift wrapping stations as well as other musical events. Next slide, please. And as a reminder, Winter Fest and then the programming I'm gonna talk about now are of course free and open to the public. And we continue our efforts, um, as Adam said, to make sure that people are aware of this, this progr these programs. So coming up January through April, we have a hundred more than 110 music presentations over that four month period of time. We're expanding the popular Toddler Tuesday to include Thursday. So if you have young, young children or did at some point, maybe you participated in music together, we do that on Tuesdays. And then on Thursdays, um, Blue Bear School of Music provides a, a little bear program for toddlers. So that's new started uh, last Thursday, happening again this morning. There are five fitness classes per week that are offered by SF Fitness. I personally have been taking the midday dance class. You're also welcome to join me for that Wednesday or Thursday. Um, activity highlights new things that are coming. We continue to add new things from our performer and presenter bench. There's a drumming circle that'll happen um, once a month on Sundays in the amphitheater. There's a new Saturday music program on the lawn. Um, every Saturday, 11.30 to 1.30, the lawn is the area between the playground and the amphitheater. So stop in for that sometime. And then of course the docent led birding and garden tours continue monthly. Next slide, please. I wanna give you a brief retail le leasing update. This is a new map, exciting. Um, this map is shows the ground plan of ground floor between 1st and 2nd Street. And the colors are the turquoise, are the leased and open spaces in that area. So you look in your upper left and lower right corner, you have Verizon, Happy Lemon and Phil's open. There are other things on other levels open, right? There's Fitness SF and Onsite Dental and Spring Fertility are open also as well as the Greyhound package station is open and should be highlighted on this map. 
Um, then available for lease, and I think that's really where our focus is right now is to get this fully leased are the yellow spaces. Um, and then the blue spaces are leased but not yet open. So we have two focuses right now, a leasing focus and a get those tenant improvements completed and more of the dining and retail open. So working with Colliers, our leasing partner, met with them earlier this week, we have renewed marketing packages ready for a suite adjacent to the TJPA offices on the second floor, um, as well as the yellow suites that you see highlighted here. Next slide, please. And the next. So tenant improvements, um, I'm sure you're aware of the kitchen exhaust uh, project that's been ongoing. We are very close to completing this project. We're in the control phase right now so that that can be turned over and kitchen venting is available for the tenants that require that. We're pivoting to advance the tenant improvements as quickly as possible. Um, working specifically with Venga Empanadas, Per Diem, Dimbao's, Tycoon Kitchen. Um, next slide, please. And here's our likely opening dates. Venga Empanada wrote this week to say that they're planning a grand opening for March 1st. I don't know how aspirational that is, but um, I'm excited about it. They did provide, um, have a pop-up as part of Winterfest. So they're definitely making connections to the people in the park and um, trying to raise awareness of that. And then in Q2, we'll see Bear Bottle come onto the cafe pad in the park and in the Grand Hall under the escalators, hoping to see Kaiser open up and Tycoon Kitchen, I foresee opening during that time period. And then um, in the third quarter, Aquilina, Charlie's Philly Steaks, Dim Bows, Per Diem, and Pokey House. I met with um, Dim Bows and the Juice Bar folks this week and their architects and their plans are, are coming along well. And I think that's gonna be an asset to the area. And we were talking about outdoor seating and the ways to invite people in. So now we just need people to return to the towers. <laughs> so um, next slide. Thank you so much for your time. I'm here to answer questions. Jen, thank you very much for the report. <clears throat> Directors, any questions on our facilities update? <clears throat> Not seeing any. So Jen, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Certainly. Executive Director one more. One more item under the Executive Director's Report, which is the Project Labor Agreement Quarterly Report for Q4 of last year. Um, included in your packets is the Project Labor Agreement Quarterly Report. The highlights include a safety achievement from the Tenant Improvement Construction Team of zero reportable or lost time accidents in all of 2021, which is great news. Uh, we've included in the report notes from the 36th meeting of the Joint Administrative Committee uh, covering items that were discussed on December 6th, 16th, where we received a great report from the union representatives, specifically the Operating Engineers Local 3, stating that they have been working with CityBuild and the Rising Sun Center for Opportunity in Oakland to develop an all-women's apprenticeship cohort that already has up to 15 participants in the program and growing. 
Uh, all very exciting news from our labor partners at the TJPA looks forward to our continued partnership and DTX project advances to deliver trains into the train box. So this concludes all the items in the executive director's report. So if there's any other uh, questions, we're happy to field them um, at this time. Thank you, executive director. Directors, any questions on any of the reports? If not, well, thank you, executive director. And, and we can stop counting the days you're on the job. So I, <laughs> but welcome and, and welcome to our family here. And we're glad you're on board. Uh, Mr. Secretary, before we go on, is there any public comment on the executive director's suite of reports? It appears we have a hand that was just raised, moderator. Hello, caller, please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. All right, thank you. This is Jim Patrick calling Patrick and Company. I want to go back to the executive director's report and the loss of power at the transit center. As I remember in the original design of the transit center, we had the city uh, electrical service to be one source of power and PG&E to be another source of power. And in the event uh, one would fail, the other one would operate. And that seems not to have worked. Uh, I just wondered uh, what happened there. Thank you. So if I could share, G, the, um, to my knowledge, we, we never lost vertical transportation. We never stopped transit operations. We never impacted park operations. And we were on emergency power. Um, power was out for about 90 minutes. And we are working with our power providers to both assess the problem and uh, resolve it for any future incidents. Thank you. Mr. Secretary, any other public comments? Uh, that concludes public comment at this time. I will proceed to call your next item. Thank you. Director's item six is a CAC update and CAC Chair Derek Holt will address you on this item. Happy New Year, Directors. Our January TJPA CAC meeting and first meeting with our new Executive Director went great. We appreciated the opening report from Ms. Lily Magis-Wu and the recap of the significant forward progress during the end of 2021 including the acceptance into the federal New START program. The CAC appreciates the legislative update from Mr. DeLuca and Mr. Ramirez. We received a great look at some of the inner workings and efforts during this legislative update. There was a good discussion regarding the changes and dynamics going on at the state level. And regionally, CAC member Howard Wong asked for insight on how the different Bay Area transportation agencies collaborate together and at the same time, compete for state transportation funding. So CAC members are pleased to hear that the regional transportation agencies collectively work together in many cases that benefit the overall region. The report from the new facilities director, Jen Norris, was well, well received. CAC members' questions, comments, and discussion revolved around topics such as this past December's Winterfest, building and rate structure of private functions on the park level of the transit center, sponsoring events and presentation services, the potential to have vending carts present as another means to draw folks into the building uh, and park, advertising methods and participation levels for movie nights, and even what's the risk, what's the level of risk and liability that the TJPA and Transit Center takes on if someone contracts COVID during an event at the Transit Center. We also appreciate the report from Mr. Uh, Rodriguez. He really shed some light on how the many DTX delivery options are evaluated and considered. 
CAC members Howard Wong and Jackson Fanestock both asked a few questions regarding how projects such as the DTX are considered for delivery options in other countries. And there was a request for additional project delivery information in the future. We always, of course, appreciate comments from the public, including the topic of competitive procurement processes and unsolicited proposals. We wrapped up our meeting with closing comments from our new executive director, Mr. Van Dewater. And this concludes my report. And of course, I'm here for questions. Thank you, CAC Chair Holt. Happy New Year to you and the members. Directors, any questions on the CAC report? Very good. Chair Holt, thank you. Appreciate the important update. Are there any public comments on the CAC report, Mr. Secretary? Uh, no public comment at this time. I will proceed to call your next item. Please. Directors, item seven is public comment, an opportunity for members of the public to address the authority on, mat on matters that are not on today's calendar. It appears we do have a member, moderator. Hello, caller, please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. Hi, this is Jim Patrick, Patrick and Company. Uh, we mentioned earlier in this report about thinking out of the box. Uh, we, as we've managed BART, although this really isn't uh, necessarily directed to BART, but as an idea for the board to kick around, uh, we've never paid any attention to the freight business. And uh, I saw in a recent report, there are gonna be 17 trucks a day going between uh, the Amazon facility, I guess out in Tracy uh, to the new one they're building, right? San Francisco, right at our fourth street station yet to be designed. What's the matter with a, a quick elevator, much like uh, sort of on an aircraft carrier, if you will, that drops a container on a freight car, which is attached to the very tail end of the BART uh, train, gets to the freight location and is extracted in the amount of time it takes the, for the train to stop. Uh, that's thinking out of the box. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Mr. Secretary, any other public commenters? That concludes public comment at this time. I will proceed to call your next item. Please. Directors, your next item is the consent calendar. All matters listed are considered to be routine and will be acted upon by a single vote. There will be no separate discussion of these items unless a member of the board or the public so request in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered separately. I have not received any indication that a member would like to do so. That being said, is there a first and a second? What? Check public comment first. Um, I do not see any. Now okay. is there a first and a second? I make the motion. Second, Lepkin. Was that Director John Baptiste or Director Forbes? I wasn't keeping track there, I'm uh, sorry. The, the first was by Director Forbes and the second okay. was Director Lipkin. All right, thank I you, Mr. Secretary, for the assist. <laughs> of course, uh, I'll you take a roll call vote. Um, Director Borden? Uh, yes, aye. Borden, aye. Director Forbes? Aye. Forbes, aye. Director John Baptiste? Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Aye. Shaw, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye. 
Chair G? Yes. GI, there are seven ayes. Item eight, the consent calendar is approved. I'll proceed to call your next item. Directors, item nine is approving the fiscal year 2022 to 2023 preliminary operating projection in the amount of 30,611,000 and Frank Nguyen, TJPA Chief Financial Officer will present this item. Good morning, board members. Um, so let's dive into this, you know, as, uh, you know, um, every January, uh, the board uh, uh, is, uh, is going to consider this preliminary uh, operating projections. Next slide, please. So uh, in front of us uh, on the screen is the budget calendar. Um, back in September of last year, um, there were some uh, preliminary operating projections be sent to the primary tenants of the transit center, uh, namely AC Transit and San Francisco meeting. And uh, be between uh, then and now, you know, I've been working very closely with my counterparts of these primary tenants uh, to develop uh, the projections that are being presented today to the board. Um, because, you know, uh, the leases that we have with these uh, primary tenants uh, require the TJPA board to approve uh, this project, uh, preliminary projections for the transit center uh, this time of the year for the forthcoming fiscal year, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to, to help their budget developments. Um, so um, just want to, um, again, um, highlight, you know, where we are in the budgetary process. After today's uh, presentation, uh, we're going to dive into the core budget development process of developing not just the operating budget, but also the debt service and various capital budgets. And I'll come back to the board in April to uh, inform um, the board on the budget outlook, followed by um, the presentation and public hearing of the draft budgets in May and uh, come back to the board uh, in June to uh, ask for the board's uh, review and uh, adoption of these budgets. Next slide, please. So here are some highlights for the, uh, uh, for the staff report that, uh, has, uh, that is in your packet um, this morning. The preliminary operating projection is at $30.61 million uh, in which, uh, the regional measure two and regional measure three are some of the uh, major uh, revenue source, uh, reimbursement sources uh, from MTC. And um, however, you know, both of these uh, fund sources face some uncertainties, uh, you know, uh, for TJPA. Um, for RM2, um, I want to point out that the current fiscal year is the last of the five-year period in which the transit center receives uh, $3 million each year for starting up. Um, so um, given the financial challenges uh, posed by the pandemic to the transit center, TJPA staff has uh, reached out to MTC asking for an extension of this funding. Uh, so uh, the, the request will be considered by the commission in the, in the subsequent months. RM3 funding, as we know, 
uh, is still um, going through the litigation process at the state Supreme Court. So both of these fund sources, um, you know, still face some uncertainties. Uh, and that also explain uh, the reason why that, you know, the primary tenants contribution uh, projected right now uh, being higher compared to the current fiscal year. But our goal as always is to ensure that, you know, as we move forward and our historical record shows that uh, by the time that we present the budget, uh, I mean, the draft budget to the board uh, later on in the year, uh, those contributions, hopefully, in particular with the um, uh, possible extension of RM2 funding, uh, such contributions could go back to a similar level as uh, have been budgeted in the current fiscal year. Um, the operating expense projections, as stated here in the highlights, uh, is uh, consistent with the three-year projection uh, presented to the board, uh, to the board uh, last June. So uh, next slide, please. Without further ado, let's look at some numbers. Um, this slide shows the various reimbursements and revenue sources that we're uh, projecting right now uh, for the next fiscal year. And as I have mentioned, um, uh, RM2 and RM3, excuse me, above, uh, uh, I mean, at the top of the table, accounts for a significant share of uh, the revenue sources. Thankfully, we uh, have had some federal grants coming in from the um, stimulus packages due to the pandemic, and we're projecting to receive uh, $1.7 million uh, of uh, American Rescue Plan Act upper funding uh, in the next fiscal year. And uh, we are also um, actively pursuing wayfinding requests, uh, grants from outside sources. And as Adam pointed out earlier, we have been uh, we have made some progress on that front uh, in the current fiscal year. But we're projecting that we're going to be more actively uh, augmenting um, the program, uh, leveraging external fund sources. And I also want to point out that you know to round up the reimbursement figure. We have a very strong partnership with the East Cut uh, Com Community Benefit District, which covers uh, close to 80% of the park's um, uh, operating expense. Moving on to revenues, uh, as I've mentioned, you know, the lease and use payments from our primary tenants account for a uh, considerable share of our uh, revenues, but also, you know, in terms of, you know, other revenue sources, um, the naming rights uh, from the Salesforce Tower and also the rental retail revenue and advertising at the transit center, those are the major revenue sources of the, um, you know, of our, our operating budget. Uh, next slide, please. Moving on to the expenses, um, again, as I've mentioned uh, a minute ago, um, these, uh, um, this, um, these projected expenses are consistent with what has been presented to the board uh, for the three-year projections last June. And, uh, and as you can see from the table, security, um, operations and maintenance uh, expense for the transit center, uh, insurance and wayfinding account for the lion's share of the transit center um, operating expenses. Next slide, please. This table shows um, the also very important part of the operating budget, which uh, covers 
um, the operating and maintenance expense and management fees of the rooftop um, park, uh, you know, of our transit center. And, all, and this um, projection also include $950,000 of contingency. Next slide. So in terms of further considerations, you know, um, some of them to be considered is that what, once again, the goal, the focus of this exercise in terms of providing preliminary uh, operating projections uh, is to identify known revenue and reimbursement sources and also the uncertainties of su such sources to inform the board. Um, the expense projections, once again, you know, assume more activities to happen at the transit center at the time the three-year projections was uh, put together. So uh, in, that, in that spirit, uh, both the revenue and expense projections um, tend to be conservatively projected. In other words, re um, revenues um, may are probably on the lower side of the range of projections and on the expense side, probably on the hopefully the higher side of the projections. And um, so, you know, in the, for, for, in the subsequent months, um, we're going to go through the budgetary process and some of the refinements um, here in terms of revenue and expense are being uh, highlighted here. And I have um, already covered about, you know, the RM2 and RM3 revenue uncertainties, the one-time um, upper funding to cover um, the rental retail revenue. Right now, you know, the projection on that front is uh, is very conservative given, you know, uh, what Jen has uh, shared with us earlier in this board meeting about, you know, the uh, projected um, opening schedule of the, uh, uh, of the tenants, which are still, you know, getting ready uh, for their grand openings. And on the uh, expense side, you know, we, uh, again, try to uh, explore and leverage external fund sources to augment the wayfinding program. And also we're um, striving to, um, to, um, to, uh, to have a more cost-effective way to, um, to handle the park um, management and administration. So um, I believe that concludes my very brief um, presentation and, uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions um, um, you may have. Thank you. Franklin, thank you very much for the presentation. Um, needless to say, you know, well, understand that this is a budget process. All the things we can do to help ease the increase to our major tenants is, should be a priority. I mean, SFMTA and AC Transit should not, you know, they should be our last resort and not our first. Um, so whatever we can do over the next several months to help lower their contributions, you know, from my standpoint, should be a priority. So directors, any other, any questions that you have on the preliminary operating budget? Director Gordon? Hi, yes, I would Gordon, agree. I'm sorry. No Gordon, worries. I, I would agree with that. Obviously, the transit agencies are suffering um, majorly from um, reduced overall revenue and all different sources because of the slower return to work as we've has been as identified. I do have a question about how we're if we have a contingency plan if we can't get the RM3 funds and what we're looking at related to um, other tenants and, and their their rent not meeting kind of what we think because 
things are a bit still uncertain? Um, uh, Director Bolden, thank you for your question. And um, that, that's basically, you know, the, the in the forthcoming months, you know, the budgetary process that we're going to take a very deep dive into, uh, you know, looking for, you know, all of the fund sources, a, bit, uh, a potential fund sources, should I say, you know, be available to, uh, again, um, to mitigate, you know, the uh, projected um, primary tenants contribution here. And uh, that's why we have been reaching out to MTC, for example, you know, to see if RM2 funding could be extended for a period of time so that, you know, to, um, to provide, you know, uh, at least a short-term um, mitigation, you know, for in that regard. And in terms of RM3, you know, right, right now we are um, um, basically, you know, uh, ha having a letter of no pre prejudice uh, from MTC. So, um, basically, you know, we, we do hope that, you know, the litigation hopefully will be behind us by the time that, you know, uh, the next fiscal year starts so that we will have, uh, you know, um, that we can fi finally, you know, ask for reimbursement from MTC from, from the fund source. <clears throat> Thank you, Franklin. Director, Director Borden, any other questions? Thank you, other directors. Director John Baptiste. Thanks, Chair G. Um, I had one clarifying question, and then I guess a perspective that I wanted to offer. And um, one question I had was just what the timeline looks like on the resolution of the RM2 question and the RM3 question. I think you said you were hoping prior to the next fiscal year. Um, I also was curious what the term is on the naming rights agreement when that sunsets and when that needs to come up for renewal. And then I guess the perspective that I would offer is that I think it would be helpful as we think about the burden placed on the operators, as well as the differential between what our policy goal is with our operating reserve and what we've been able to achieve to look at a longer term projection on the budget. I know You've done a three-year projection, but I wonder if, uh, you know, even a five-year or perhaps a, a longer view would help us to understand, I guess, what, what worries me is what is the point of time and what is the strategy that allows us to meet our goals of hitting a 25% operating reserve and also substantially reducing the... Um, the amount that's requested from both AC Transit and the MTA, given that we're all, you know, in the business of wanting to see transit succeed. And what without being able to see what that long-term vision is of how we get to greater self-sufficiency, it's hard for me to know sort of how to respond to the kind of the current strategies. And and actually, is there a future in which there's greater self-sufficiency? So I would love to see that as part of our budget conversations going forward. You know, I, I run a nonprofit. I understand that sometimes we set policies for ourselves in terms of reserves that are aspirational. But I think there's at some point a true up in terms of what we are representing our goals to be and what our reality is going to be that is sometimes necessary. And I just want to be just want to be as, as transparent about this as we can as we go through this planning process going forward. So that's a request. And then I'd, um, 
I would like to know just on the naming rights what that timeline is and when you're thinking the RM2 and RM3 questions get resolved. Thank you. Uh, thank you, um, D Director John, please. Uh, thank you for your question. Uh, for the RM2 uh, timing, um, um, myself, are being, uh, myself and my team are, uh, are being told that it will be in the spring of 2022 that uh, MTC uh, Commission uh, will consider this uh, request for the extension. So um, the timing will be just right, you know, for for me to, uh, you know, depends on the outcome of the, the commission's decision to uh, bring to bring the, uh, the the draft and final budget to the board, um, you know, uh, later on uh, in the calendar year. Uh, RM3, um, I don't have a crystal ball on that, uh, but you know, I. Also want to point out that right now, you know, the um, the reserve, you know, um, is could could be tapped into, you know, as a short-term stopgap solution for that, and uh, and I agree with you that you know uh, there will be some other deep deeper dive into the more medium and even long-term um, planning and projection, you know, going forward, you know, uh, financially. Director John Baptiste, two two more points of clarification. The, we're hearing from our uh, legal advisors and advocates that they're expecting RM3 to be resolved uh, the latter portion of this calendar year. There's a legal precedent in the courts on a similar issue that needs to be resolved before they can resolve RM3. Um, so depending on the duration of that resolution and then in terms of the, the naming rights, the agreement was signed July 24th, 2017, with a commencement date at TCO of 2018 for a 25-year term. Thank you. That means the directors cannot leave until the naming rights contract <laughs> oh, No, we're not going down it. <laughs> Other directors, Director Shaw. I, yeah, and I, I will say that um, for AC Transit, it, re it really is a big hit to go from $3 million to $5 million, and it's really going to affect us a lot. Um, one of the questions around RM2, you talk about the timing, which is the spring, and I know you've been talking to Chris a bit, but have you guys decided if there's anything we can do to try to um, encourage MTC to go that direction? Is there anything we can do as board members or as AC Transit staff to uh, put letters of support or whatever to try to get that to happen? So that's one question. And then secondly, you know, our big expense, uh, and when you look at that is security. And while we all know security is very, very important, um, in light of what we heard earlier about public safety being one of the key things that the governor is looking at, is there more funding or grants or something that we can get that can kind of take those expenses down a little bit to try to help in that area? Thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Director Shaw. Uh, uh, thank you for you know your generous offer of uh, you know the letter of support and also as always your staff support on you know uh, work, working with me and my call uh, and my team here you know to uh, for the budgetary process. So uh, I believe any letter of support any advocacy that uh, the, uh, our board can uh, provide, you know, to the MTC commissioners will be extremely helpful uh, for our request for extending our M2 funding. Uh, for the security side, you know, um, definitely, you know, we'll uh, look into, you know, possible uh, 
again, external grants opportunities to help us, you know, to cover some of the, uh, you know, security expenses. So um, that is something that, you know, in the next several months that we'll definitely look into. Thank you, Frank Franklin. Director Shaw, any follow-on questions? Thank you. Any other questions from directors? Franklin, I only have one comment with the ongoing RM3. I think we also need to always keep an eye on cash flow because that is a reimbursement program. I mean, we're not cash rich. I mean, that's just not the way TJPA is <clears throat> with grants and reimbursements. So I would just, as you move forward and come back, make sure that that analysis is done similar to the request from Director John Baptiste looking farther out. <clears throat> cash flow can hurt us in the short term uh, significantly. Any other questions or comments? If not, this is an item for action. This is a preliminary budget approval uh, for the operating budget. This is a ongoing process with more reports coming back to us before we finally approve. Is there a motion? Oh, there is. We have a member of the public that like Oh, I'm sorry. Um, public comment first before we take action. Thank you, Donald. No, no worries. Uh, moderator. Hello, caller. Please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. Hi, this is Jim Patrick again. But I'd like to uh, follow up on that security question. If you notice, the security line item in this budget is seven million three hundred fifty-three thousand. <clears throat> that represents uh, almost twenty-five percent of the budget. I believe the majority of that money is going to the San Francisco Police Department for their four officers 24-7. I suggest we should bid this uh, out like any other contract we might have. I don't believe it is being bid out, and we ought to look at the private market to achieve the same results. And I bet you we could half or a third the costs, and we don't seem to be wanting to be able to do that and I think that's an error so I suggest we look at that the dollar item and it's the major item item in the budget thank you thank you any other public commenters uh, that does conclude public comment uh, is there a first and a second so moved Thank you. Is there a second? Second, Lipkin. Thank you. Uh, I'll take a roll call vote. Director Borden? Aye. Borden, aye. Director Forbes? Aye. Forbes, aye. Director John Baptiste? Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Aye. Shaw, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. Amendment I, Chair G. Yes. G I. There are seven eyes, and item nine is approved. Chair G, uh, with your concurrence due to a scheduling conflict, we would like to call item 12 next. Board, is there any um, issues with moving item 12 up to take next? Seeing no one opposed, let's move forward with moving item 12 up next. Thank you, board. Thank you. 
Directors, item 12 is the San Francisco Peninsula Rail Program Executive Steering Committee update and Michelle Bouchard, Acting Executive Director of Caltrain and ESC Chair will present. Good morning, Chair G and Directors. Uh, I really do appreciate your flexibility on this item today. Um, this is a, uh, an item um, that uh, I'm gonna focus on a, a, a single work stream that uh, the ESC uh, and the IPMT have been working on diligently over the course of the last uh, several months. And we are continuing to work on it. Um, it is the item that will set the course for how we deliver the DTX project. So I'm gonna provide an overview of our progress uh, as we move towards a recommended approach for your consideration in the next several months. Um, so this is uh, definitely uh, a first view and a first bite at the apple, but certainly uh, not the last. The ESC is gonna be considering these options as we, as we move forward. Next slide, please. So our approach to the contracting plan and project delivery strategy is influenced by many factors. So it's, it's very complex. In considering how we should contract for construction, the needs of our broad range of stakeholders are being considered. And uh, we need to consider many questions. For example, how should we allocate risk among the parties? How does the cash flow of various delivery methods fit with our still developing funding plan? How do we ensure the operators have appropriate involvement in the design and construction decisions? What legal authorities are required to support these approaches? What skills are required to manage design and construction within the lead agency? How do we get the best value at a fair cost from bidders? These are but a few of the questions that we intend to answer when we bring forth our recommendation to this board. Uh, and the timing of that uh, is likely to be in the summer. So next slide, please. Um, this one's a, a, a bit of an eye chart, um, but as our um, as we looked at our project delivery task, we've determined that DTX design and construction fits within five general packages. So I'm going to point you to the left side of the screen that de describes these general packages. Um, they include enabling works, uh, which is utility relocation, demolition, and site cleanup as examples general civil works, including station boxes, vent structures, the U-Wall street restoration and other cut over, um, uh, cut and cover type works, the tunnels, including the actual tunnel construction and the throat structure, station fit out and supporting systems, which includes architectural finishes, ventilation and fire life safety systems, uh, and core systems and track work, which includes the rail operation systems such as train control, communications, overhead catenary, uh, and railroad infrastructure itself. So, um, you know, tracks, interlockings, et cetera. At the top of the chart, so when you look across the options, you can see 10 different combinations that the team began with to examine how these contracting packages can be delivered. These range from a very disaggregated approach. Uh, so, uh, okay, look at approach number one, several different contract packages with different delivery methodologies. Um, and then there's a fully aggregated contract package involving one mega contract. And those are the options closer to the right-hand side. Um, the individual colors refer to different uh, methodologies such as design bid, uh, build, progressive design build, CMGC, et cetera. Uh, so these are all under consideration 
And again, we're weighing each of these options against uh, their varying degrees of success and how we answer the questions that I previously talked to you about. So if you can go to the next slide, please. So in, in looking at all of these options, the project team and the IPMT have recommended um, a short list of delivery options, considering issues such as risk allocation, cash flow requirements, legal authority, lead agency capability to manage the design and construction, obtaining best value, and operator involvement in design and construction decisions. The short list includes option six, which is a, it's conventionally financed, actually five, six, and seven are conventionally financed approaches using design bid bill for the enabling works, progressive design build for the tunnel and other heavy civil components, and CMGC for the systems rail and station fit out. Options five, five and six, they're basically variations on the theme that number six presents. Uh, and in number seven, if there's a desire for a financed approach, that's, uh, that's what we have there. As a, an extreme alternative to the right side, the team also uh, is going to continue to assess option 10, the project development agreement involving a design, build, finance, and maintain approach. Um, given the overall estimated cost and current funding status of the VTX, we believe some further analysis of this option is warranted as part of our due diligence leading to a future recommendation to this board. Um, so to the next slide, please. And I'm, you know, I'm not a lot of, uh, this is a bit of an eye chart. Uh, and, and really what it's meant to convey is that the project delivery strategy is closely interdependent to two other work streams, uh, namely the capital funding plan, as well as the governance plan. Uh, all of these activities are, are gonna be worked on diligently uh, over the course of the next few months into next year, all with the goal of submitting full funding grant application to FTA by August. 2023. Um, with all of these streams, obviously the IPMT is going to be working diligently. They're going to be vet through the ESC, and then uh, we will be bringing recommendations to the board uh, when uh, the ESC believes they are, you know, ripe and warranted for a recommendation. So today, as part of milestone one, uh, I informed you of our progress. We're going to continue to work with IPMT to work on these options for a final recommendation uh, to this board, as I mentioned, sometime um, in the coming months, likely over the summer. Uh, for milestone two, um, one of the most important things is to, to further um, refine the funding strategy with a particular focus on developing funding commitments required to progress through the FTA's uh, new starts process. The team will also advance evaluation of the remaining delivery options and begin the governance study. Um, and so I, I just, uh, again, I mentioned all of this to you because we do believe that these efforts are uh, dependent on each other. Um, and the, uh, the IPMT, in, in, in my view, is just doing a, a great job of leveraging uh, all of the resources and subject matter experts to, to really uh, have robust discussions at the EAC, ESC that we're looking forward to bringing to this board. Um, so uh, with that, I'd like to conclude my presentation. Um, and, and I do want to thank, um, you know, the IPMT again for 
really staying focused on this uh, important stream of work. Um, if there are any questions, I know we've got Alfonso and Jesse to uh, to also assist me in answering any questions um, since they are actually prosecuting work. So again, I appreciate you advancing this this item. Michelle, before we take director questions, we probably, as we expand our code speak, probably need an acronym slide somewhere in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, agreed. Um, you know, and, and Director Borden, our apologies for all the acronym speak <laughs> going on in here. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean it's right, though. But uh, as we get more, you know, details, we probably should have a little bit more than PDB, which is, I believe, Progressive Design Build, um, or PDFM, which is Progressive Design Build Finance and Maintenance. Um, you know, I, I kind of live in that space, so I kind of know, but that shouldn't, I'm, I'm sort of weird, so we should probably have an acronym slide in here somewhere. Absolutely. Directors, any questions um, for Michelle and her team on the ESC report? I have a question, Chair G. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for your presentation. And I don't live in this world. So as I ask this question, um, you can help me understand where this value would fit. I, you talk very much about the criteria used uh, to figure out what delivery method fits best. And one thing I heard missing is values of creating local jobs, um, opportunities for jobs, participation with local small businesses, really the sort of equity component of the delivery. And I don't know if that's in method where you need to consider that or if that comes down the road in the solicitation process. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really excellent question. I, I, I'd like to ask um, Alfonso if, uh, if he's, um, if, if we've got an answer for that. And if not, certainly we'll get back to you. Absolutely. I want to point out to the board that DTX will continue to use the project labor agreement so successful in phase one of delivering the trans-phase program. Uh, we continue to brief um, our labor partners on the progress of the project, uh, much like we do in our normal course of outreach. Um, the, the contracting methodologies will each one will be subject to the project labor agreement. And, and I keep going back to that because I think that's a powerful tool to ensure that we deliver on the promise to our labor co community who are so, so well organized in helping us advance um, our objective and getting this project to a full funding grant agreement. So I, I feel pretty good about um, having that in place. I don't see much of a difference across the uh, various delivery options to impact that, uh, but it's certainly one of the core values um, as we approach our project delivery strategy. Thank you, Director Forbes and Alfonso. Thank you, Director Forbes. Any follow-on questions? Director Shaw. Yeah, I guess, um, thank you for the report. And I, used to live in this world and I still got confused with all the acronyms, but um, maybe before we have the next report, um, if there's an opportunity to kind of highlight what some of this is so that, or at least what's important to us, some of it's detail enough that's not necessarily important, but, but what was just brought up by Director Forbes is a really good point. And maybe there's a way to kind of 
highlight where that stuff is in this thing and where where we really need to pay attention for those of us that aren't in the details per se so that we can really understand as we go forward and make this decision what are some of the things that uh, impact that thank you absolutely will do and, and for sure i mean this has been a quick romp and, and i will i will say it's taken the esc a couple of really good sessions to to dive into all of it, including understanding each of the acronyms and what they mean. So uh, very much we'll follow up on that. Uh, Director G, I just have a follow-up comment uh, for Please. the board. I, I think the labor agreement uh, that Alfonso mentioned is critically important. I do think as we move through this process, we need to consider contracting opportunities uh, for you know the smaller local firms um, to uh, team up um, because that's so critical in supporting our local small business ecosystem and hits equity. So that I, I don't think that's a, a delivery method consideration, but it should be something we consider down the road. So I just wanted to make the project team aware of that uh, converse, future conversation. Thank you. thank you. Director Forbes, thank you for your comments. I think, I think um, how I would characterize what you shared that there are core values of this board that we want reflected in any project delivery method of local jobs, inclusion, small business. And those core values probably should be reaffirmed at some point going forward and embedded in what we do going forward. So thank you, Director Forbes, for raising that. And, and Director Shaw, thank you. And I, I would think that as we move forward, this is gonna get more complicated than easy. And so for directors, if there's an opportunity you would like reach out to our executive director for maybe a one-to-one -one briefing because this is this is a decision that this board will make and so each one of us needs to be fully understanding of what the options are that will come before us later this year other questions from directors or comments dr john baptiste um, thank you. And I agree with the points that were raised earlier. I think it would be really smart to have kind of affirmative statement of values put forward because of the complexity of this. I had two questions and I, I like Director Forbes, Michelle, really appreciate the presentation. One question was, I think I understand what is meant when we say that we're looking at project governance options. But I'm hoping you can define what we mean when we say that we're analyzing institutional governance options. Is that the ownership of the downtown extension in the long run, or what is that referring to? And then my second question is, you know, obviously this analysis and this set of thinking is happening in the backdrop of a whole slew of regional conversations that are ongoing around rail governance and network management and capital project delivery. And, and I think a, a desire that is, you know, somewhat broadly shared for us as a region to be able to sort of put our best foot forward when it comes to planning and delivering our transportation services, in addition to really giving ourselves the capacity to hold institutional knowledge on mega project delivery, which is something that's been challenging because we oftentimes create a project delivery mechanism for each project kind of out of whole cloth. And so I'm, I'm hoping you could just speak to how the process that the ESC is undertaking relates to those parallel conversations and discussions and analyses that are occurring 
in various kind of locations around the region right now. Oh my gosh. Um, so um, I, I'm going to try and unpack that a little bit. Um, it's, first of all, it's a great question. And as someone, I, I, uh, Chair G, I see you smiling a little bit. As someone who is um, sort of involved in a uh, an extended governance process, um, you know, the complexity of that. And, and I think what you've highlighted is that, you know, it's, there's not one level, there are several levels. Um, and so I, I, I do need to, to um, um, perhaps turn it back to Alfonso because in, in part, as you see, the governance uh, study is lagging a little bit. I think it's very, uh, and, and lagging, I mean, not, it's just in, in time, it will, it will follow this one. I believe that work, um, and again, I'll, I'll uh, defer to Alfonso, is, is still being defined. We have, the ESC has not considered any of that yet. I think the good news is the folks on the ESC that have, I think, an intimate um, knowledge, not only of governance within organizations, of, but also of the various things that are going on. We've got you know, Caltrain, we've got MTC represented, uh, we've got the, the TA represented as well as TJPA. So what I will say is the, the folks that would be cognizant of all of the efforts that are going on right now are sitting at the table. And so I think we can bring that perspective to the effort. And what I'd like to do is bring that feedback back. Um, but I'd also like to say, um, and this is this is my commentary again. I, I, I'm I'm interested in hearing um, what uh, um, Executive Director uh, Vandewater think on this item, or or Alfonso. Um, you know, a lot of these efforts regionally are are just being defined. I think we are we're defining as a region. We're defining what what issues there are are out there. We haven't yet defined processes about how we bring them together. And so I think one of the, the challenges we'll have to tackle with this is that it's not that um, this governance issue is going to be considered within well-defined processes. And so I think it's important for us to figure out what the touch points are um, as we begin our governance process and how that links into other inquiries. Um, and so I know, I realize I've circled the drain a little bit, but the point is it's very complex and a lot of these efforts are just being starting to be thought about. And so uh, it's all a very dynamic situation. And Adam, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if there's anything else you'd like to contribute there. I'd yeah, I, I would only acknowledge the, the board's uh, questions here, because this is a substantial uh, decision and it impacts uh, risk and ownership and delivery and, and cost over the course of the project. I think the good news is, as, as Director Burchard uh, showed in her second eye chart, is there'll be many opportunities for discussion here. I think the takeaway of today is that the Executive Steering Committee has, has narrowed the list of options that they are recommending from 10 down to four, um, and we'll continue the discussion at a more detailed technical level. Uh, a question uh, we can discuss with the board is how often you would like to get updates from the executive steering committee before making this decision given its consequence, but uh, our intent is we'll have this back to the board uh, at least one more time prior to any decision making, so at least two more times at the board, um, and this will be an evolving conversation over the course of this spring. Um, if I if I could, Chair G, and thank you both for that. Um, 
I think given the kind of the moment, the nebulousness of the moment that we're in in some of these conversations and also the consequence of this decision that's in front of us, two things that I, per I personally would find really helpful in this set of conversations is on the governance side, you have, I thought, although very um, acronym-y, uh, the chart that you laid out in terms of the project delivery options was helpful in being able to convey sort of the suite of things that we are solving for. And I think if we could have something that was similarly tracking the primary governance questions that are both being grappled with with respect to this project, as well as some of the regional conversations that would just help at least me orient in this conversation. Um, and then secondly, with our project delivery methodology, if we could put in place sort of a stake in the ground that the methodology that we are striving towards is one that has future compatibility with a more regionalized approach, that would be something at least I would be appreciative of. I don't know if other directors share that sentiment, but um, just to offer as a, as a potential path forward. Thank you. If I can jump in with a little bit of uh, reaction and comment, because or maybe a little bit of framing for this conversation, because I think it helps to think about it in, at least I, I, in my mind, it's sort of three different levels that we're having this conversation, and some of them are related to each other, and some of them can be sort of agnostic at what happens at other levels. Because I think there's the first level, which is the governance institutional type level, which is, you know, right now, TJPA is tasked with delivering the DTX. That's part of our legislative mandate as, uh, that this agency was created for. And one option would be to change that institutional arrangement in some form. That would be potentially something that the region could endeavor upon. Uh, I think a second level is sort of the management and policy level of, you know, how we are set up to actually manage the work and what policies like the small business and like the inclusive um, uh, uh, labor practices that we've had. Those are the kinds of things that, you know, is within sort of, we would want to apply broadly across any um, uh, potential path forward on, on actual construction delivery, there are certain management things that we would probably want to do differently depending on the method in terms of if we're managing one big contract versus multiple small contracts, you would want different uh, different staff levels, different expertise, depending on if financing is involved or not. And those are all decisions that tie the sort of management layer to the delivery method. And then on the delivery method, those are a lot of things I would say mostly driven by project circumstances uh, in terms of what is the actual work to be done. You know, for example, at ESC, we had a long discussion around, you know, the civil packages. And, you know, if we have somebody doing the tunnels and somebody doing the other civil works, do you want two, two contractors looking to stage at the same place at the same time? And you, the answer is probably not. You want that to be more integrated. Um, and I guess I'm, all of that to say is that the part that we were talking about just now in terms of the delivery method can to a certain degree be agnostic, certainly to the institutional governance level. It has some interrelationship with the management level and some overlays on the policy side, but they're not, uh, the decision that you make here doesn't um, drive what you can or can't do on some of these other levels. So I guess I just, uh, you know, great to have a conversation all three. I just wanna make sure that we're answering the right questions at the right levels in, in terms of the, the discussion. Thank you, Director John Baptiste and Director Lipkin for the discussion. Um, I think probably given the layers of conversation underway, uh, Executive Director Vanderwater, perhaps at a the February or March TJPA board meeting, we can have a report on the MTC regional initiatives. 
so that we can see how these conversations that we're having may fit into it. Um, or conversely, I was talking with a colleague yesterday about the future and he said he found a crystal ball on Amazon. So I can share that with everybody. Um, so we can order each one of our own crystal balls about the future. Um, directors, any other questions or comments on the ESC report? Secretary, is there anybody else wanting to raise their hand that I'm missing, which is possible, extremely possible? Seeing no other hand at this time, Chair Judy. Any public comment on this item? No public comment either. All right. Directors, thank you for allowing us to move this item up. Michelle, thank you for the report. Thanks very much. And we'll go back to our regular agenda, Mr. Secretary. Absolutely. Directors, item 10 is adopting board policy number 20, unsolicited proposals policy outlining procedures for receiving and reviewing unsolicited proposals for the purpose of considering innovative solutions, offering value, cost efficiency, enhanced financing and or funding options, technical innovation, schedule acceleration and or risk transfer for the downtown relic center project and Alfonso Rodriguez, TJPA DTX project director will present this item. I found that you are muted, sir. Or can't hear you, Alfonso. Alfonso, can you try to lean a little bit more into the computer? Um, let's try this now. How does this sound? You Thank okay. you, sir. Thank you. Um, this item introduces a policy TJPA staff is recommending for adoption by the board concerning unsolicited proposals. So the next slide, please. The policy will establish a procedure for receiving and evaluating unsolicited proposals for DTX. The reason for such a policy is to have the board approved guidance in place before such a proposal or inquiry is received. From our industry outreach meetings held last year, we've generated a strong project interest out there in the private sector. An unsolicited proposal is distinguishable from TJPA's plans for DTX if it uses innovative or unique solutions that TJPA has not yet previously considered or should offer added value such as cost reduction, uh, enhanced financing funding options, uh, technical innovation, schedule acceleration or risk transfer. This unsolicited proposal policy applies to proposals primarily relating to the design and construction of DTX. And through operation and, and though operation and maintenance of the facility can be considered, the policy excludes rail operations and rail system maintenance um, as part of any proposal received. As I mentioned, the policy describes TJ's, TJPA's plan procedures for receiving and reviewing unsolicited proposals. The policy is written to ensure that TJPA maintains open competition, rational decision-making and adherence to federal requirements while potentially adding value to the public. Now this policy is consistent and would augment TJPA's existing procurement policies. In developing the policy, staff reviewed similar policies of the California High Speed Rail Authority and the Los Angeles County Transportation, uh, Metropolitan Transportation Authority. And of course, worked with TJPA Council. Next slide, please. Now the policy envisions a three-phase evaluation process. In phase one, TJPA will receive a brief written proposal describing the proposer's 
organization, a short technical proposal, other supporting information. The purpose is for the authority to make a threshold determination if the proposal has sufficient merit, and if so, to request a more detailed proposal. At that point, we'll assemble an evaluation team to review the uh, conceptual proposal that will include that technical, legal, and financial, that will include uh, representatives that have technical, legal, and financial subject matter uh, background. And it'll also include, and we'll draw from our agency partners. Now, phase two requires that TJPA issue a request for detailed proposal from the proposer. The, evalu the evaluation team will continue their evaluation of this more detailed proposal and make a recommendation to the executive director as to the value this proposal has to the agency. So after consulting with the evaluation team, should the executive director judge the proposal to be of value to the agency and further development is warranted, the executive director will then consult you, the board of directors, to seek authorization to issue a procurement in accordance with TJPA's procurement policies. So that kind of summarizes the, um, the unsolicited proposal policy. I'm available to answer any questions that you may have on this. Alfonso, thank you for the presentation. Directors, questions? Thanks, thanks. yeah, thank you, Alfonso. This is great. I'm really glad to see us moving forward with that. I know that um, LA Metro has actually taken advantage of some of these unsolicited proposals and, and put some things in place and it's been very, it's been good for them. So I'm, I'm glad to see this. My, my question just goes around the question on, um, talks about the proposer having to pay a fee. What are the circumstances where that would happen? Because I'm sure that's, is that just kind of put, it, put in there depending on the size of the proposal? And so it's very much just dependent on what the proposal is? Exactly. I mean, that's why we don't have a stated schedule at the onset. I mean, really, it's going to be tailored to the nature of the amount of evaluation uh, based on, of course, the nature of the proposal that we receive. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Director Shaw. Other questions, comments? I would just move forward with approval of the uh, policy. Thank you, Director Shaw, for the motion. Is there a second? I second that. I think it's really innovative, something to think about for us at MTA. <laughs> Thank you, Director Borden. Before Any other comments on the motion? If not, before we do that, public comment? Yes, sir. Uh, we have two members. Uh, moderator, please let in the first caller. Hello, caller. Please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. Morning, directors. Um, Roland de Brand, San Jose. Um, Happy New Year. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, but before getting to the, uh, the comments in my letter, um, I, I want you to know that I personally really, really appreciate you moving um, item number 12 um, ahead of this one uh, because unsolicited proposals have the potential to bypass and potentially el eliminate the majority of the impediments that have just been discussed. Now, moving on to my letter, um, and I appreciated the uh, director's comment about um, the bidder having to be somehow contributing to the evaluation of their bid. There, there is a conflict here. So first of all, on the phase one, from, from my experience, you're looking 
at the uh, unsolicited bidder investing in the region of $100,000. It's not a lot of money, but it's $100,000. But now you're moving on to phase two, and phase three eventually is going to be a competitive procurement, which means that whoever's doing this, this work might not win the eventual bid. So it's unreasonable for these people, number one, to have to contribute, but I will also respectfully suggest that you consider potentially awarding a stipend. And given that these people have the potential of saving you potentially a couple of billion dollars, I think that one-tenth of a percent is appropriate. So for a saving of $2 billion, I think a $2 million stipend would be most welcome and would encourage more more bids moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Moderator. Hello, caller. Please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. Hi, this is Jim Patrick, Patrick and Company. Uh, I also think this is a, a, a very sound idea. I've presented a lot of ideas to the TGPA over maybe 10 years, and the most I get from those is thank you, Mr. Patrick. I find that a slap in the face when I make a comment, and I, I get no feedback back. So the process that we have in place now is really very poor. This is a much larger uh, question, uh, but I don't think we ought to charge this, someone a fee, nor, and it has to be some worthwhile reason for this individual to do this. There's gotta be something at the end game. So otherwise, why should I waste my time? I got a great idea, but just for the, so the good of TJPA, come on now. So uh, I think the structure is the right structure. Uh, I don't think uh, there ought to be a fee to get into the ball game. And if it turns out uh, to be really a great savings, there ought to be a remuneration at the end. Thank you. Mr. Secretary, any other callers? Uh, that concludes public comment. And just to reiterate, uh, there was a first by Director Shaw and a second by Director Borden. I will now take a roll call vote. Please. Uh, Director Borden? Aye. Borden, aye. Director Forbes? Aye. Forbes, aye. Director John Baptiste? Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Dr. Shaw? Aye, sorry, aye. Shaw, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye. Chair G? Yes. G, aye. Um, there are seven ayes. Item 10 is approved. I will go ahead and call you the next item. Directors, item 11 is authorizing the executive director to execute a second amendment to the lease agreement with Transbay Fitness Inc. for a commercial slash retail space in suites 208 and 212 on the second floor of the transit center, consistent with the previously adopted retail slash commercial lease strategy to address COVID-19 impacts and uh, Tennessee's. And Jen Norris, TJPA facility director will present. Hello again, directors. Um, I'm gonna I have a presentation. If it comes up quickly, great. Otherwise, we'll I'll just do it verbally because I know time is ticking away. Um, so I'm bringing before you um, 
the second amendment to the lease for Fitness SF, which is our largest tenant here at the center. Next slide, please. Um, I think you're familiar with the COVID rent relief strategy rationale that we've been using. Next slide, please. And I'll take questions on any of this if it's necessary, but um, just to remind you that the TJPA board approved retail commercial leasing strategy to address the COVID-19 impacts on June 25th, 2020, and have negotiated with a number of our tenants to come up with um, lease terms and, and such that meet people's needs and keep them here at the center. Next slide, please. Next slide. And one more. So this next one is about Fitness SF itself, just to remind you of the operating background. Fitness SF has eight locations in the Bay Area. They secured a PPP loan of $484,000 in 2020. Of that, only $15,000 was available for rent at this location. We have confirmed that they've received no additional outside assistance since that time. Um, they have closed according to the health orders and reopened when possible. Um, they have been reopened for indoor use since spring of 2020, conditional about, upon health orders, which have included everything from reduced capacity to masking to not being masked for a short time this fall if everyone was vaccinated. And then, of course, we're back um, to masking now indoors. Um, since fall of 2021, we have confirmed that membership growth has flattened. Next slide. Um, so a second amendment to the lease has been negotiated with the tenant that is retroactive to January 1st, 2022. That increases the tenant's base rent obligation as a common area base fee from $10,000 a month to $20,000 a month for the period from January 1st, 2022 until June 30th, 2022. And under this amendment, we retain, we also retain the tenant's percentage rent at 10% of gross revenues. The terms of the second amendment may be extended from July 1st, 2022 until December 31st, 2022 upon the tenant's timely request and subject to approval by you all in your sole and absolute discretion should economic conditions so warrant such an extended relief. The initial term of the lease has been again extended to reflect the rent relief period, moving the initial termination date to March 31st, 2036. This allows the TJPA to financially recapture the relief granted. I would note that the value of approving the second amendment is estimated at $440,000 for the period January through June. The fiscal impact of approving the second amendment has already been accommodated in this fiscal year's budget. Thank you so much. That concludes my report. Happy to take questions. Jen, thank you very much for the presentation. Director's questions. I, this is Director Borden. I assume that the tenant is fine with this and feels that they can financially make this work. These terms were negotiated and they have agreed to them and have actually already paid their January rent. Great. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Director Borden. Any other questions from directors? <clears throat> 
I'm not seeing any. This item is for action. So is there a motion and a second? Motion to approve, Diane Shaw. Thank you, Director Shaw. Is there a second? Second. Is that, which director was that? I'm sorry. Ed Borden, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Director Borden. Thank you. Mr. Secretary. Uh, before I take that, before oh, I public comment, public yes. Comment. Please. <laughs> uh, there is no public comment at this time. So I will go ahead and take a roll call vote. Director Borden? Aye. Borden, aye. Director Forbes? Aye. Forbes, aye. Director John Baptiste? Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Aye. Shaw, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye. Chair G? Yes. G, aye. There are seven ayes. Item 11 is approved. At this time, the board is scheduled to go into closed session pursuant to government code section 54956.8. We have not received any indication that a member of the public wishes to provide comment on the item listed, but they have an opportunity to do so now. Mr. Secretary, I'm not seeing any hands raised. And to our general counsel, do we expect any action out of this closed session? Gee, I'm not expecting there to be any reportable action out of closed session today. Okay, so for our public um, members, you're welcome to hang out till we come back to report out, or um, you're, you're welcome to also leave. leave. Um, so thank you for joining us today. and. Mr. Secretary, can you take us into closed session? We will now adjourn to closed session. Absolutely, sir. Bear with me one minute. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Secretary? Yes. The TJPA board meeting is back in session, directors. Item 16 is the announcement of closed session. As to item 15, conference with real property negotiators regarding the parcel of development site price in terms of payment with the parties as noted on the agenda, there is no action to report. Thank you, General Counsel. I believe that concludes our business for the day. Directors, thank you for your time going past 12 o'clock a little bit. And if I may, Gong Hei Fa Choi, welcome the year of Tiger. Chinese New Year is coming up on February 1st. So everyone, hope best wishes for a prosperous, safe, healthy, and good new year uh, on the Chinese calendar. Stay safe, be well, and we will see you next month. Adjourn thank you. Thank yeah, you, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy new year. Bye.